Well, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, theologian Debbie Thomas in her blog, Journeys with Jesus, shares a story from the book Tokens of Trust, an introduction to Christian belief by former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, where he tells the story of a young Jewish woman named Eddie Hillisum. Hillisum was in her 20s when the Germans occupied Holland. She was not conventionally religious person, but between the years of 1941 and 1943, as she watched her world descend into a nightmare, she became deeply aware of God's hand on her life. Imprisoned in the trans, transit camp at Westerbork, being about uh, before she was shipped to the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Eddie wrote these words. There must be someone to live through it all and bear witness to the fact that God lived even in these times. And why should I not be that witness? Williams describes Hillisim's commitment in this way. She decided to occupy a certain place in the world, a place where others could somehow connect with God through her. She took responsibility for making God credible in the world. She took responsibility for God's believability. Thomas continues, I've been thinking about these phrases, making God credible in the world, taking responsibility for God's believability. What reactions, if any, do they trigger? Alarm? Excitement? Longing? Fear? Has it ever occurred to you that these phrases might describe our vocation, our calling? It is our job description as followers of Jesus. Do you think it is possible that we can be called to make belief in the kingdom of God credible for the world that we live in? Not just when belief is easy, but also and especially when belief feels impossible. At this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has called all 12 of his disciples, and he has started going about healing people and teaching them, as it says in verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. He sees the crowds of people and he has a deep compassion for them because he sees them as helpless and harassed. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And that he, because of that, he has that deep compassion. And so he turns to his disciples and he tells them to go. They are now to go out and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. They are to cure the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Go. Go and tell. Go and touch. Go and make new. Go and make peace. Go and make believable 
the compassion of God. There's a wonderful legend about St. Francis, the kindly 13th century monk, who one day informed his brethren that he planned to go into a nearby village on a preaching mission. He invited a novice to come along with them. On their way, they passed an injured man, and Francis promptly stopped and saw the poor fellow's needs and arranged for medical care for him. They went on, and they soon passed a homeless man who was near starvation. Again, Francis stopped his journey, and he ministered to this hungry, homeless man. So it went throughout the day, people in need, Francis lovingly taking care of them as best as he could until the sun was low in the sky. And then he told his novice friend it was time for them to return now for they needed to be back for evening prayers. But the young man said to him, Father, you said we were coming to town to preach to the people. And Francis smiled and then he said, My friends, that's what we've been doing all day. Romans 10, 14 states, How are they to hear without someone to proclaim, to, to proclaim him? How can people believe in God unless someone tells them through word and deed about the compassion of God? This is what we are called to do. Jesus sends us out as laborers into the harvest, into the fields around us, into the fields of our neighborhoods, into the fields of our school and work, into the places that we visit. But there's more. After explaining to the disciples what the task is, he offers them some appalling operating instructions. You receive without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag or two tunics or sandals or a staff and saving this zinger for the last, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And he goes on to say, you will be dragged before governors. You will be handed over to councils to be flogged. You will be hated by all because of my name. So how do we show up? And does it feel like we are still sheep within the, in the midst of wolves when we proclaim our faith, when we proclaim the good news of God? How are we giving of ourselves, our time, and our possessions? The need is great and the workers are few. The world cries out for those who are willing and prepared to share the good news that is God's world. And despite all the evidence to the contrary, one day this world will conform to God's will and to God's way. We are partners with God. And make no mistake, this is a confrontational gospel. It's hard, it's demanding, it's offensive. In it, Jesus asks us to surrender absolutely everything for the sake of making God credible to a world that's convulsing in pain. And he does so without reservation or apology. 
There will be times when our faith violates cultural norms. We will fight uphill battles and speak dangerous truths of power. But as Thomas said, if our overriding priority as Christians is to secure our own comfort, then we cannot follow Jesus. Discipleship will disorient and disrupt us. It will make us the neighborhood weirdos. It will shake things up in our families and churches and communities. It will expose evils and the status quo we cling to. It will humble us to our knees. As our reading from the letter to the Romans so eloquently puts it, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. So often we Christians try to skip straight to hope and hunker down in its promise. Yes, the church is called to profess hope, but hope is not the same thing as clueless optimism or premature consolation. Hope has no meaning if it's not undergirded by justice. Notice the trajectory. Suffering, endurance, character, then hope. The fact that our salvation is free does not mean that it comes cheap. Why does Jesus ask so much of us? Because he gave so much. You recede without payment, give without payment. Maybe if we can put aside our reluctance and our fear, we might feel the weight, the power, and dare I say, the glory of this calling. Jesus calls us only to what we were created for, what we were baptized into. Jesus knows the cure for our brokenness, our anxiety, our boredom, our angst. He knows that when we go out into the world in his name, healing the disease of hatred, resurrecting truth, and casting out the evil, of injustice and inequality, we participate in the transformation of our own souls. What we're hearing in these days is the very heart of God within us, deep, calling to deep, crying out on behalf of a world desperate for justice and mercy. Will we listen? As Eddie Hillison believed, someone has to live and bear witness to the fact that God lived even in these times. So ask yourself, why shouldn't that witness be me? Amen.